0: Well, welcome to midlife mastery i'm brock edwards and today's guest is kevin english of silver edge fitness kevin uh, does a podcast over 50 health and wellness podcast and is a fitness trainer nutrition coach so that, there's a lot we're going to cover in this episode and just to let you know what's coming up here I want to talk about Kevin's journey because Kevin switched careers kind of you know mid later in life than a lot of people do and when we're over 50 that brings some unique challenges perhaps and so you know that and of course you know Kevin wasn't just born fit like you know what what was his journey how did he get there how did he make that transition? also want to talk about fitness over 50 and why that's a thing, why we don't just talk about fitness and you know what's different and how those of us who are over 50 maybe want to approach it differently than we would have in our 30s or even 40s. And since Kevin's a coach, would love to talk to him about, you know, why work with a coach? Like the information's out on the internet, anyone can go find it. What's the advantage? And a lot of coaching these days is done remotely. And how does that work when the coach isn't right there with you? And then also, what are some tips on how to succeed with a coach? Like if you're going to hire a coach, what works best, what doesn't? And also, and in fact, maybe just right at the start here, now's a great time to, to get it out there just as context to all this. So uh, I've hired Kevin to be a coach, and he and I are also uh, collaborating a bit on uh, some podcast episodes around that and what that might look like. And, and we're still kind of making up what that looks like as we go here, but I really want to get in better shape. I'd love to be in the best shape of my life. Cause well, there's probably no excuse not to be. And now is the best time for me to get there. I know that like age is coming and the, the longer I wait, the, the more long-term consequences there are. And, and I've been fit in the past and would like to be more fit again for, for just so many different reasons. And Kevin will be bringing kind of the coach's perspective. So what's it like working with a client? You know, what, what are some of the realities of maybe working with me, but how that applies to the, the broader everyone? And so really, really cool collaboration, really, really excited about it to be able to kind of combine our two podcasts a little bit, have some overlap to them and bring these very different perspectives. So, man, with, with that introduction, Kevin, let's just jump in and talk about your fitness path. And so tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are, because well, you're a very fit guy. And as a, you know, fitness trainer, I would hope you were, but you're a fit guy. So, you know, how did you get there?
1: Yeah, thanks. I'll start out first by just saying, I'm also very excited about the podcast collaboration, really looking forward to that. I think we can have fun with that, but yeah, I, I start out with my, my fitness journey. I tell people I'm, I'm 57 right now and I am objectively as fit, strong, healthy as I've ever been in my life. So we'll, we'll start there. And then back all the way up. So I had a really, really, uh, really great childhood, right? I was raised on a cattle farm in Southwestern Pennsylvania. So I grew up on grass-fed beef, chicken, eggs from our farm, raw dairy from the neighbor's cow, uh, fresh vegetables out of the garden. So I had that advantage very, very early on. Fast forward to my teenage years, there was a divorce and moved off the farm and into uh, a different environment and i didn't i didn't thrive there at all got into drugs alcohol and that was that was my story through pretty much my late teens through my 20s cleaned that act up a little bit and somewhere in my 30s i found myself Fairly unhealthy, but kind of active, just nutritionally had no awareness whatsoever. I just ate what most Americans eat, but I, I lived at the coast at that, by that point, I surfed a lot. So I, I was kind of active, but certainly wasn't involved in any kind of sports or any kind of regular regimented new exercise program. And one of my brothers said, bro, we should run a marathon. And at the time I'd never run in my life. I hadn't done any kind of running. I didn't even know how long a marathon was. It's 26.2 miles as it turns out. And his big selling point was, Hey, Oprah Winfrey did it. How hard can it be? And I've, to this day, I don't think I've ever gone back and fact, fact check that. So I don't know if in fact she has, but that was part of his pitch. He bought a book. I think it was like four months to your first marathon. So we did, we enlisted my other brother and we all trained together and it was a very interesting experience for me, a life-changing experience, actually. Um, we were doing these long runs. you know. So each week we would you know, we'd run Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then we eventually added some other days. But we'd get together and we would run these long runs on Saturdays. And it, it was a good bonding experience. We got to that marathon and I completed that marathon and I was just so unprepared for what happened. had this very, very emotional response. It was, I mean, when I finished, it was all I could do not to cry. And I couldn't understand that. I, I I just didn't, I wasn't prepared for that. I was just completely overwhelmed. I, and I didn't finish in a very good time. I mean, I (laughs) didn't, I finished and that's, you know, that's something to be said, but what happened was it just some sort of hook was set in me. So my, my two other brothers were like, you know what, that's a, that's a, bucket list check done never going to do that again and i was hooked i went home and immediately got online and looked up the next marathon i could do and and kept training so i did i don't know half a dozen or so marathons in a row and then that same brother who talked me into doing my first marathon said bro we we should do a, a triathlon I didn't even own a bike at the time. I got a literally a yard sale, 10 speed, and we started training and doing some triathlons. So I started getting in decent shape. It's the first time in my life I'd had this regimented workout program. So I've been doing all this running kind of burned out on a lot of running and now put this obsession into triathlons. So I was naturally a, a pretty good swimmer. I would typically be one of the first out of the water in in these sprint or half, half Ironman type distance triathlons, but I sucked at the bike and I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. I eventually got a better bike thinking that would help. It it didn't, I just didn't enjoy the biking and all those guys that I out swam in the swim portion of the triathlon would come zipping by me on the bike. And I would think to myself, well, I'll catch you when I'm on the run. And of course I never did. So I, I wasn't particularly good at triathlons. I was a mid-packer in my age group, but I did enjoy it. I did obsess on it and I've it, done, oh God, I don't know, a hundred, that's too many, but I, I did a lot of triathlons. I really obsessed on that for quite some time. So I, I was very skinny, as you might imagine, an endurance athlete living in you know, coastal North Carolina where it's hot and it's humid in the summer. And that's what I'm doing all my running and my biking. And I had no awareness of nutrition at this point. So I'm just, I'm eating all the carbs basically, but no distinction between Twinkies and broccoli really. And I went on for with that for a while. And eventually I just burned out. It was the biking that did it. I I really didn't enjoy the biking. You have to do a lot of biking. And it was just, it was sucking up my weekends as well. So now, as opposed to just going out Saturday for a long run, I was going out for Saturday for these brick workouts where I would do a long run followed by a long bike ride. And then maybe Sunday go for another really long bike ride. And my, frankly, my family was a little not thrilled with that (laughs) every weekend being, you know, centering around me, getting this big, long workout in. And then of course, coming home, being exhausted, needing to refuel, because I got to do that before I can do anything else. And I quit long story short. I just stopped. I just cold Turkey quit doing triathlons and i didn't replace it with anything and i kept eating the same way which is again just a whole lot of primarily processed foods carbs etc i started drinking more you know my kids were my kids were young teenagers at the time maybe even a little younger than that my career was going gangbusters at that time. And I really was focused on that part of my life, kind of my family, my career. And I just really stopped with any sort of self-care whatsoever. And what happened is insidiously somewhere in my mid forties, I just found myself in horrible, horrible shape. I've got a, I'm a tall kind of lanky body build. And the way the fat sat on me, that extra weight that I was carrying was that skinny fat look. So if I had on, when I was dressed for work. I didn't look unhealthy. I didn't look good naked, right? That's just not a good look. I had skinny limbs and, and a lot of visceral fat, which it turns out is extremely unhealthy. And bad things started to happen. As you might imagine, you know, I was getting really, really fatigued in the middle of the day and I was drinking more, I, my stress level was up and I was just, I was getting sick more and I knew I had to change something, but I really didn't know what to do. So somewhere along the line, I I just, I kind of bottomed out in my health. I had a a scary trip to the emergency room. I thought I was having a heart attack. I I wasn't, but I I just said, you know, I've been fit. I've got to get back. I really don't know what to do. So I decided I would join a gym. I joined a a globo gym basically. And it was one of the more intimidating (laughs) things I've ever done in my life. So now I'm in my, you know, upper forties, maybe 50. And for the first time ever, really, I'm walking into a gym with free weights and there's all these big, strong strapping guys in there and they're grunting and there's music playing. And, and I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm, I'm skinny, I'm weak, and I'm looking around really intimidated. And I'm just kind of watching what people are doing on the different machines. And I would go up after them and kind of do the same thing. And it was the start of a long journey. So I did that for several years without any real awareness of having a program or progressive overload or changing my nutrition, but at least I was doing something and I felt good about that. So sorry for this long-winded answer. I promise I'm getting to to what you asked me here. So it was, I was in my fifties, my daughter, who was a, I don't know, 15, 16 at the time. She said she had been following this woman, Sarah Sigmund's daughter on YouTube. She's a CrossFitter. She's from Iceland and she's just amazing, right? She's one of the top athletes and female athletes in the world. And she kept saying, dad, check this out. This is amazing. We should do this, this CrossFit. And I would tell her, yeah, we should. That's, that's amazing. You know, I, I want to I support my daughter. And finally she was like, no dad, we really, really should. We, sh- we should go. Here's, here's a couple of CrossFit gyms near us. Let's go check them out. And again, that intimidation factor came in because I'm watching what Sarah Sigmund's daughter is doing. She's doing these ring muscle ups, these crazy athletic gymnastic movements. She's doing all these Olympic weightlifting movements. That's a clean and jerk and a snatch. And I'm thinking, I can't do any of that. And I, I kind of knew what CrossFit was. Rich Froning was big at the time. And you know he'd occasionally show up on men's fitness magazines or something. So we walked into a CrossFit gym and it was... It was life changing for me. That's really where the change happened. I felt I unexpectedly fell in love with CrossFit. I really didn't expect to. Never had been a, a social workout kind of person. I didn't think a workout class or group would be for me at all. I certainly didn't see myself cleaning or snatching barbells or working on rings or doing, you know, kipping athletic movements on a pull up bar, et cetera, it would ever be anything I did but I just madly, madly fell in love with it. I love the social aspect. I love the competitive aspect. I didn't realize I didn't have a good outlet for that. And if you don't know, in CrossFit, we record everything. You record every single workout you do. And it's also stack ranked against everybody else. So you can kind of see where you fall. And of course, in those those early workouts, I was last in everything. And it kind of drove me as opposed to, you know, made me discouraged. It, It actually you know, my, I can remember early on, I would, I would wait until the day was done and I would check am my last and my last or my next to last. Yes. Next to last (laughs) way to go. But eventually I, I got better and better. And about that same time, of course, the CrossFit world has gotten a little bit cultish in, in a lot of different ways, but they also, they're really, really big into nutrition. They have, you may know that they're associated with um, the zone diet as well as the paleo. So I was kind of a, I sort of knew what those things were, but never paid any attention. And on my CrossFit gym, up big high on the wall is this hundred words of fitness. And it's written by the the founder of CrossFit. And it starts out saying, let me see if I get this right. It says, eat meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some starch, no sugar, something along those lines. And I saw that and I thought to myself, okay, the next step here in, in increasing my performance is this nutrition piece. So I really started nerding out. I just would read anything I could get my hands on. I was just devouring these nutrition books and these papers online, etc. And I just, I just fell in love with what was happening to my body i was getting strong literally stronger fitter healthier every single day and that just kept beating this positive cycle right as as i would do this hard work and i would make these changes and i would feel what was happening to me i could look in the mirror and see what was happening to me it just kept building up this motivation and it got me to where i am today and i my daughter is no longer doing CrossFit with me. And I am, which is kind of funny. I would not have guessed that going in. I just went to go support my daughter and, you know, kind of meet her where she is. And here today, I I belong to a CrossFit gym. Still, I belong to just a a regular gym as well. So I do a number of different types of workouts, but yeah, I, I fell in love with fitness and nutrition. I nerded out on it hard And I got such a passion for it that I know we're going to talk about career changes that, yeah, I decided that, you know what, this is, this is what lights me up. This is what really excites me. And this is what, what makes me want to get out of bed in the morning. And I want to share this. So, yeah, I, I, I've had quite a journey and it wasn't until really the, the light bulb didn't go off until my mid fifties that this is what I want to do. This is, this is why I'm here really.
0: Well, let's talk about that briefly kevin and i think a lot of people can relate to you, to your journey i know i can my journey was different but man it it overlaps and then there's some mirrors and echoes in there and we'll we'll talk more about that a little bit but yeah you know mid 50s is as, as a career change time you know that that can be tough for a lot of reasons one you've already invested in whatever career you were doing all those years and you've made progress And it can be hard to go, yeah, you know, I'm kind of mid top of my field, wherever I'm at. And I want to go just, you know, start at the bottom, go do something new that, you know, that can be tough. It can be tough. Just, you know, people are comfortable in life. They've got a good paycheck coming in and, you know, walking away from that can be really difficult, especially if you not just changing careers, but going out on your own, starting your own business, those sorts of things. And yeah, it's also just, a time of life when you know as I start feeling my mortality a little bit more than I did in you know my 20s and 30s you know there's, there's less runway like in my 20s I could take a job if it worked great if it didn't I could go do something else you know mid 50s whatever that leap is I'm kind of thinking I want it to work <laughs> yeah. I don't don't have yeah. a lot of time for a lot of changes so just I'm just imagining what goes through everyone's head when they're thinking you know Could I change careers? Could I really go out on my own? Could I start my own business? You know, all these things. So for you, sounds like you were doing good in your career. You found something you were really lit up and passionate about, but there's still that leap. And what was that leap like for you? What, what made you say, okay, yeah, I'm cutting the cord. I'm going out.
1: Yeah. So (laughs) It really, it comes down to passion. I've worked for the, the last job I had 20 years with the same company, love the company, great company, technology sales. So think data center, cybersecurity and cloud computing, all that kind of good stuff in, in sales. And you're right. I had a very successful career. And while I love the company and I, it turns out I I like outside sales, that, that suits my personality. I have zero passion for technology. I I don't, I don't like it. I don't care about it. I don't nerd out on it. And what I decided was that I, I wanted, I want to follow my passion. I want to do something that, that I'm really, that lights me up and really motivates me. And that clearly is in this wellness and health and fitness and nutrition space. So yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes into to life transitioning, obviously there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of, you know, you and I had talked about the burning the bridges or burning the ships. I, I think you said, we kind of where you're, you make that commitment all out. And it's, it's a scary thing to, to consider, right? That I've had this security. I've done this one thing for so long. It's what I'm good at. It's what I've invested so much time in, but I, I, I saw how I could change myself physically my health and my body and my mindset and clearly if if i had the power to do that i could do that same thing in my professional life right it it's going to take time there's going to be some bumps along the way there's going to be some you know steep learning curves and late nights etc but it's all well worth it so yeah it's <laughs> it certainly is anxiety producing but at the same time it's it's exciting and it's fun and it's you know I haven't felt lit up like this in a long time,
0: well, you know if you you watch much social media, the message that I always see is and usually from someone trying to sell me something mm-hmm. is you know really that you know you go out you start your your dream job and all that, and there are no bumps, right? It's just you know the next day you're successful. I've yet to encounter anyone who's done that in reality, but so for you, what were some of the well maybe not the bumps, but the key learning like as you look back over that transition what advice would you give yourself at that point or or others at kind of that on that ledge looking, you know, should I jump? Should I not?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we'll leave aside just kind of the financial piece of this for just a minute and talk about kind of the following your dreams part. So if you're looking to make that transition, what worked for me was just completely immersing myself in this new, this new passion of mine, right? Fitness and health. And I really, really started to, spend all my time absorbing as much of that information as I could which eventually led to you know if you want to make a career change you probably need some education so in addition to just all this you know just reading and talking to other experts and gathering all this knowledge I could I had to go out and get some certifications so a nutrition coaching certification I got a couple personal training certifications so you, you you certainly need to do that but it's it's mostly just getting yourself into the position, the best position you possibly can to be successful. Now there's a financial piece to this, obviously, right? For those of us that are, let's just say in our 50s, 60s, we've, I'm going to say we've probably been financially successful doing what we've been doing, most of us probably for a long time. So there's, there's a reality there that has to be examined as well. And it's different for everybody, right? It depends on what you have in the way of nesting. nest egg you know, does your, your, significant other have a significant income as well can, can make a big difference. And can you, you know, those of us that have corporate jobs, we have insurance and fun things like that, which you don't get when you're out on your own, but there is something so soul satisfying about starting out and doing things on your own where, you know, you're both the boss and the janitor, right? You're, you're everything. So you get to it's, it's a blessing and a curse. You're making all these choices and yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a journey, but my advice would be to, if it's something that really lights you up, if it's something that really motivates you to get up in the morning and I don't see it as much as, as work as I do as something that I get to do, not something that I have to do. If that's the way you feel about something, it's just a matter of putting a plan in place to make that, to make that a reality. And that plan might be a six-month plan. That'd be pretty aggressive. It might be a six-year plan. That might be pretty conservative. But you can make that transition. It's just a matter of really how am I going to do this? What are the nuts and bolts? What do I need in order to be successful in doing this new thing? Well, let me go ahead and get all that. Let me build this foundation. And then once that foundation's built, it's time to look at when do I, when do I pull the cord? When do I, when do I, you know, is it a gradual? A transition? Is it a sudden transition? That's, that's up to you, right? How you want to, how you want that to look and how you want that to feel. All
0: right. Yeah, yeah. I love the, the idea that you're the, the CEO or the boss and the jander. Cause yeah, I mean, that that's true. You, you suddenly became your own accountant. You mm-hmm. suddenly became, you know, your own bookkeeper in some ways, your own attorney. I mean, don't practice law on your own, but you know, you, you've got to have enough knowledge to know even what to start asking, what to start looking at. We were talking about running your own business anyway. And, you know, sure. just, you, you know, now now you're probably your own uh, social media marketer, website developer.
1: <laughs> yeah, or you, all those things. Yeah. Or you that's have all to have new a, to me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah or you have to have the resources to be able to hire that out but you know either mm-hmm. way suddenly you are responsible for everything yeah your own your your own benefits advisor you know, you know as you talk about insurance and all those so yeah there, there's a there's a lot to learn as you leap, but clearly you're very enthusiastic about that transition you know it's been a good transition for you and 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 a good change it sounds like so I mean, When we talk about transitions and I'm going to shift here a little bit and talk about my own transition, just very briefly to put it in the context of fitness over 50, because like I said, uh, I can relate to your story. Your story is not my story, uh, but I can relate to it. And I think a lot of people can, in just the sense that at some point in our life, we're probably fairly fit, you know, we, we were active, we had outside interests, you know, whether it was triathlons or you just like to get out and hike or, you know, bicycle around the neighborhood or whatever it was, it may have been some sport that we pursued in high school or college. And then, you know, at least in my experience over time, kid's career, there was this point in my life where other things took my focus. And, you know, you mentioned that as part of your story and I can very much relate to that piece. And, you know, the uh, accumulation perhaps of injuries in the past that weren't a big deal in twenties and thirties, catching up eating that wasn't a big deal in twenties and thirties, catching up, you know, your body maybe works a little different, or, you know, you had mentioned something, you know, you kept kind of eating the way you had in the past. And I can really relate to that. There was a time in my own life where I had been, you know, very focused on racing mountain bikes. And so I ate pretty clean. And then when my daughter was born, I stopped racing, but I kept eating like I was, you know, doing constant 50 mile bike rides and all of that. Yeah, yeah. I suspect a, a lot of folks can can relate to that. And if you do want to hear more of my story, we, we, Kevin and I talk about it over on his podcast, recent episode over on over 50 health and wellness. I encourage you to look it up. I won't go into too, too many details here other than just maybe what you may have guessed from what I just said, I'm not in the conditioning that I would like to be in. You know, I'm okay, but I know what I, where I used to be and I know where I could be and, I, and I'm not there. And, and so that's, that's why I want to transition this journey. Also, you know, just as the guy running a podcast called Midlife Mastery, it's kind of important that not only am I learning from people, but I'm applying it, right? Like that's why I started this, to figure out how to master midlife. And this is one of those areas that I've been working on for a while. And- need to do something different what i had been doing what wasn't really wasn't working the way i needed it to work so let's talk about you know kind of this fitness over 50 kevin i mean I, we've probably touched on it already but how is fitness over 50 different than like you know fitness at 30 like why is this a yeah.
1: different thing great question and it <clears throat> and it really is it's it's a different thing And there's a number of things here. We'll start with a stat by the National Institute of Health. They say that the average over 40 American loses 3% of muscle strength each year. Well, do the math on that. That's pretty alarming. The good news in that though, is that the majority of these factors that come into this muscle loss are lifestyle changes. They're people just being more sedentary. So the other big piece is, People over 50 don't recover the way people, say, in their 20s or 30s might. So we we have some special factors we need to take into consideration. So the loss of strength, loss of muscle mass as we age is alarming on a number of different levels, and not the least of which is this kind of functional Fitness that we lose as we get older. If you tell somebody to just imagine somebody in their late 60s, what they probably would imagine if you say, "What's a what's a woman at you know 68 years old?" Just imagine that. Describe her to me. You're probably going to talk about somebody's kind of frail. Maybe she's sitting in a knitting, you know, in a rocking chair with knitting or something. But you're not. You're probably not talking about a woman who's strong and capable and lifting weights, heavy weights and doing things like deadlifts or squats or, you know, God forbid something like CrossFit, but there is something to be said about being strong and capable as you age, being able to get down on the ground and get back up with ease, being able to bend down, pick up something heavy, say a grandkid or a package. And to put that heavy package up overhead, all this functional strength is, is lost in a lot of people And what in a lot of older people, and what we're seeing is along with that comes these metabolic diseases, right? These are the higher blood pressure, the the poor blood lipids, the um, the obesity, inflammation that goes along with that. And you kind of have this downward spiral. So there's a concept of, I think everybody knows a lifespan, right? That's how long you're likely to live. There's this fairly recent concept of a health span. Which is similar. It's similar to your lifespan, but it's how long will you live healthy and capable? And so, really, that's where I want to focus my time and attention and help people. I want to sell that concept that being strong, capable, competent, confident as you go, as you age is better than the alternative. We see just so many people that are going into their 50s, 60s, 70s, even 80s with a bag full of prescription medicine, just unhealthy, overweight, and their quality of life just continually declines. And if they don't change anything, then that's going to be their reality. That's going to be their health span for the rest of their life. So I want to bring awareness to that and help people transition and make that change. And it's it's not easy, right? And it's a tough sell. Getting up and going to the gym every day isn't as much fun as sitting on the couch and watching Netflix. Eating healthy whole foods is maybe not as delicious as snacking on Pop-Tarts and sodas. But the benefits that you get from doing these hard things have such an incredible payoff that I'm trying to sell people that that's it's worth it. It's worth making these daily changes, and we can talk about kind of how you go about that. And then, you know, we'll probably get there. But I want people to be aware that over fifty doesn't have to mean because is a pretty big. That's a big birthday, right? That's kind of you know, oh, I hit fifty. Okay, that's you know, some different life things are happening or probably our kids are leaving home or if we're not looking at retirement, or at least it's in the back of our head. Okay. Well, you know, I have another decade, two decades of working. How long is this going to go on? Um, but along with that, we should be thinking, okay, what is the rest? What is the, the second half of second act of my life going to look like? Will it be as a strong, capable, vital human, or will it just kind of be downhill from now? I'm just going to kind of coast and, and go out how most say Americans are, are moving in that direction.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I've long had the thought of dying healthy. I, I like mm-hmm. the thought of dying healthy. Now I haven't always lived in a way that would guarantee that, but I mean, that, that, that is it. Cause it sounds so much better than the alternative, right? Just <laughs> making it to an old age unhealthy. Yeah. And, and yet we, we do see that a lot. And you mentioned the downward spiral from the, the little bit that I know that a lot of these things feed into each other, you know, so you, you can either have an upward spiral or a downward spiral, but you're, as I understand it, you're probably not static, but what contributes to the downward spiral? How it, how does it feed on itself?
1: Yeah, so there's, there's a guy, Dr. Jonathan Sullivan. He wrote a book, um, "The Barbell Prescription," where he talks about a sick aging phenotype and this metabolic derangement that happens to sedentary folks that eat crappy diets basically. And he used to be a, an emergency room physician. So he would see all of these horror shows, people coming in. And he said, look, at that time, at that stage in my career, I, I was only worried about this person's life in the next 30 minutes. I, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't up to me to worry about them a year or five years from now. Now he's completely transitioned and he is trying to get people on this You know, his prescription is strength training, right? Let's get people strong and healthy. But what contributes to this downward spiral, it's insidious, right? Because it just sort of creeps up. If you look at somebody say in their fifties or sixties, that's unhealthy. They didn't get that way overnight. And to your point, they were probably healthy and fit at one time. Most people were, in my experience, they were fit and healthy people at some point. But what happens is we get kind of lulled into this you know, just into our culture, just sort of reinforces this sedentary lifestyle. There are so many distractions that you can do from your couch and the processed food industry just is, if you look at a grocery store, the vast majority of what's in there isn't whole food. It really isn't other than the, you know, the meat, dairy, and produce, the rest of it's, it's processed foods. In fact, we see there's a recent uh, statistic that said that over 70% of the average American's diet is made up of processed food. And that's a horrifying statistic just in and of itself. But if you think about the implications, that means there's a lot of people out there that more than 70% of their their diet is made up of these processed foods. And so what happens is people, they don't mean to get unhealthy. They're just They either don't have the education or just maybe just not the willpower to get out and to make these changes. And then just all of a sudden they go to the doctor and they get this horrible report, right? And the doctor gives them this very vague prescription. You should eat better and exercise more, which is sure they absolutely should but that's pretty vague and hard to and hard to action on that but yeah to your point there is a kind of a negative you know the further you get down that the more you become obese the more you're the sicker you get the metabolically sicker you get i guess is the best way of saying that the less the less likely you are to feel like getting up and exercising and eating this healthy food you've got these long ingrained habits of inactivity and poor food choices and maybe other poor lifestyle choices as well. And they feed on each other. And as Americans, we're very much this, you know, this instant gratification society where, well, I'll take a pill, a pill will, will make me better. And unfortunately what a pill is doing is treating your symptom and it's not treating that cause, which is that sedentary lifestyle and that those poor lifestyle decisions, poor diet decisions.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I can certainly relate to the idea of, as I sit on the couch, I lose fitness, but not, not a lot. I mean, it's very small, right? Like, you know, sitting on the couch for a day, isn't going to kill you eating processed food for a day, isn't going to kill you. But for me, as as it accumulates, the more I sit, well, the the worse I kind of eat and the the worse I eat, the worse I want to eat. I've noticed that when I eat healthier, I want to eat healthier. When I eat worse, I tend to. Right want to eat worse and then I have less energy. And then, so I'm less likely to go exercise. So I sit on the couch more and I eat worse. I mean, it is just a spiral.
1: Yeah, I think, but the, the flip side of that is also true, right? I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty bleak picture, that downward spiral, that sick <laughs> aging phenotype, but you see it all the time. But the exact opposite of that, I feel is also true. You just hit on it there. When you are being healthy, when you're hitting the gym regularly, when you're making these healthy food choices, There's also an upward spiral, right, which certainly my job is to get as many people as I can aware of, A, where you are, and B, how we can transition to getting this upward spiral that also feeds on itself, right?
0: Absolutely. And, you know, because I remember back when I was young, you know, I I was active. I wanted to go do stuff after dinner. Like I didn't want to just sit down after dinner. I want to go. I mean, dinner was okay, fine. I'll come home. I'll eat done. Now I'm going to go play with my friends. And, you know, and, and yes, when you're, when I'm in that exercise groove, I miss it when I don't exercise. So I exercise more. And, you know, I say eating when I eat better, I just tend to want things that are healthier. And I'm sure there's a lot of biological and chemical (laughs) reasons for that. but. So one of the things that that I notice or I'm thinking about here is that so we hit this you know 50 years old and maybe we're embarrassed about where we are maybe we you know don't know where to start it's been forever since we went to a gym if we've ever gone to a gym and yeah gyms can be inter- intimidating places yeah. cuz I know now if you've been going to a gym for a while I've been on both sides of this if you've been going to a gym for a while everyone's just pretty cool. And they're all in their own places and they're all doing their own thing. And they're not necessarily all as fit as they look like that first day when you walk into the gym and they just all look like, like, you know, Olympians just exercising in sync. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I I throw this out there. Like if someone wanted to get started, like, yeah, I I know I need to do something, but I I don't even know where to begin. Your advice for getting beyond kind of maybe that embarrassment or just not knowing where to begin And sometimes we, I know we go into the, I'm going to change my whole life. We go spend, you know, all the money on our new workout outfit. We get the gym membership and then we just don't know where to go from there. Or, you know, we throw everything into it and then it fizzles out. Other times we don't start. So I, I, Kevin, I just threw like 12 questions at you here, man, but really (laughs) I'm looking. Yeah. Like, I don't, if we don't even know where to begin or we're even embarrassed to ask, like, and, and and we also know that knowledge has changed over time. The advice that was given Mm -hmm. When I was reading books 20, 30 years ago, is much different than the advice given now. So even if we knew, we probably no longer know. Where do we start, Kevin?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. Where do we start, Kevin? Absolutely. So there's there's several things in here. First of all, just realize that even little tiny changes done consistently over time can have a huge impact. I'm going to say that again. Tiny, tiny lifestyle changes done consistently over a long period of time can make a big, big difference in your life. So just realize that starting small, because you had mentioned you know, that the famous, I guess the most popular version of this is new year's resolutions, right? Somebody says, Hey, I'm going to lose 20 pounds or Hey, I'm going to get to the gym six days a week. And you know what, for the first two weeks, they're all over. Cause it's exciting. It's fun. They're like, Hey, I'm on my, on my mission. Real life gets in the way. The motivation wanes and now it's, you know, they got to grind to get it done. And most people fail at those kinds of things. They try to do everything at once, but doing, taking small steps. So my first piece of advice is just make small steps. My second piece of advice on the nutrition side is the, the nutrition is, and you alluded to this is a vastly complex, but nutritional science is vastly complex, right? And to your point, it changes. We keep we keep learning new things. And every time I read a, a headline says new study shows it my, you know, a red flag goes up immediately in my mind, because probably a new study does not show what they're claiming it shows, but it, it makes you click and it makes you, you know, it, it gets, it gets eyeballs on pages, et cetera. But the number one thing you can do nutritionally is to start trying to incorporate more whole foods into your diet. It's just that simple. Don't worry about, should I should I do keto? Should I do this? Should I do, you know, that we will get there, but just start by substituting something that's processed for something that's whole. That's a great place to start. And on the fitness side is what do you love to do? What do you like to do? Do you enjoy going for a walk? Do you enjoy going for a bike ride? Do you enjoy playing, say, tennis or what do you enjoy doing? Start doing some of that. I'm a big, as you probably know, I'm a big, let's get older adults stronger. Meaning let's actually add muscle mass to them. Not, not to make them big bodybuilding, hulking people, but to be healthier, more capable, vital humans. You need a little bit Or as humans, as, as adults, we are, we have less of a problem with being over fat than we do in many cases being under muscled. So let's work on some kind of conditioning. So I'm a big fan of getting folks into gyms and for people over 50, that can be, I I know personally from, I was terrified when I walked into a gym and you can imagine somebody, you know, say a woman in her sixties going into a globo gym for the first time. There's probably bad music blaring. There's women in tights. There's guys over there with giant muscles that are grunting as they lift giant weights, that can be an an intimidating thing. My advice is to find a friend, find a buddy to go and do that experience with you. It takes some of the, you know, that isolation and the holy moly, everybody in here knows what they're doing and I don't. And what you'll find is in a gym is even the biggest, scariest guy or the, the buffest lady in there, they're all for the most part, they're all very nice people and they're very willing to help. And they're, they want you to succeed. And so my advice there is to, to a start, if you're not moving, if you're very sedentary move, go for a walk, go for a hike, do something you like a bike ride, but consider getting into some kind of gym, consider going to a class. That's a great way to get started. They have, you know, classes range from Zumba to to CrossFit. I mean, and everything in between, but to just get started to do something and not try to do everything all at once. Don't make it a resolution. Okay. I'm overhauling everything. Today's the day I start. That's, that's a great, you know, in theory, that's great. And if you're the type of person that's, you think you can pull that off fantastic, but just start making some small changes and do them consistently. And you'll find that it makes a huge difference over time.
0: Yeah, I, I love that that approach. Just just that thought of you know anything to build momentum. In fact, a friend of yes. mine who's who's an entrepreneur, he focuses his key performance indicator is momentum. You know, are are we building speed in the right direction, basically? And what? And and I want to ask you know you'd mentioned processed food ser- several times and. For, for those who aren't aware, you know, first off, as you mentioned, most of the food out there is processed. Like, you go to the grocery store, you, you have to work to not buy processed food. But I, first off, what is processed food? And, and second, why is it so bad? Or, or why do we want to move away from it to, to whole foods? I mean, like, if all the food out there is bad, that's weird, right? Like, yeah. if all of our choices are right. bad... Why Why are all our choices bad? Maybe that's a different conversation. That that sounds like a much deeper one. But yeah, let me go back to just what is processed food and, and maybe how does it interfere with health? You know, why why do we want to eat less of it?
1: Yeah. So if you think about processed food, when you go down the aisles in your shopping center and you see all that packaged food. That's made by publicly held companies that have a, and you can go read their mission statement on there. If they're publicly held, you can go see, and you can listen in on their stockholder calls. They are beholden to their stockholders, which means that they're no surprise they're in it to be profitable. And if you know anything at all about finance and wall street, one of the things that stockholders demand is continual growth. It's not good enough to be a good company that just puts in solid results and stays static you always have to be growing so these food companies and really there's only about 5 major mega food companies that do 99% of the food you see in in the grocery stores but what they've what they've done in in order to increase their market share is several things one is they've made it very very cheap they they work on razor thin margins and they rely on this heavy volume so what they've done is they've made what the term now is called hyper So they're trying, they have little PhD chemists on staff that are working on creating food products that are hyper palatable, that have what they call the bliss point that have the perfect amount of fat, sweet, and salt to make you really crave this food. And so far other than the, the fat salt and the sugar that that's not good so far that's that's fine right but what happens is we start eating this these foods in their nutrient they, they're just not very nutrient dense they've taken most of the nutrients out and have replaced it with fat sugar and salt primarily and these other things that you might imagine you would need to have shelf stable products like colorings and preservatives they use these emulsifiers and thickening and these texture agents which are chemicals So we've replaced real food, say an egg or a carrot with these really crazy chemical concoctions that are literally designed by PhD chemists to hit what's your quote unquote bliss point to make you think that this is absolutely delicious. And in order to increase how much of this stuff they sell, they don't want it to be highly satiating, right? It can't fill you up too much because- They want you to eat more and more and more of it and keep coming back. Sugar has some very highly, highly addictive properties. You can Google the addiction, addictive properties of sugar, and you'll see that many folks are claiming that it can be way more addictive than say nicotine or cocaine, things like this. So we're hooked on these things and they, you know, we eat for a lot of different reasons, right? We eat because we're hungry primarily, but we eat for social and emotional reasons as well. And when you think of a comfort food, when you're anxious or depressed, it's probably not that whole food that you're craving. It's this it's this fat, sugar, salt combination that the processed food industry has really kind of gotten us hooked on. So what happens is we've stripped all the nutrients away from these processed foods. We've added all these other things that are not good, that are causing inflammation in our body, causing us to become, you know, Overweight to have higher blood pressure to to mess up our, our, our blood lipids, etc. And you know, when processed food really didn't exist even a few generations ago, this is fairly recent. Evolutionarily, our bodies were designed to eat whole foods. And that's for tens of thousands of years, that's what we did. And now, all of a sudden, in the last few generations, the vast majority of our food is this highly, highly processed, highly palatable food. Our bodies just haven't caught up to how we can deal with that, and I mean I don't make it too strong of a statement, but that's toxic to us when we put seventy percent of our fuel in our body is this highly processed food that is toxic to your body is not good for long term health.
0: Well, and so th- so thank you for for, for that clarification because as you were talking, I, I was thinking you know all that you're talking about processed food we're not actually talking about any food in there. (laughs) Like, like, as you were describing it, you know, you're talking about the things to make it hyper palatable, which sounds like, uh, you know, marketing speak for our business speak for super yummy. And exactly. You know, it it also occurs to me when you're talking about addictions and and sugar, I was thinking, yeah, you know, sugar is very socially acceptable. It would be weird to like, you know, shoot up heroin in public. Like people, (laughs) you just don't do that. Like, you can't really drink in public. You know, if, if you're drinking at your desk at nine in the morning, it's going to raise some eyebrows. Right. But no one, no one gets weird by saying, Hey, let's go grab some fast food or, you know, you're pulling out a candy bar or any of that, you know, that's just part of the day. So, so there's not even a a stigma to hold that in place. It's like just daily life, just, you know, very normal. And it hides
1: everywhere. It's, it's in our, it's in our quote unquote healthy food. Go to, go to a, a juice place. One of these juice places and order the blueberry acai juice, and then go look at the nutritional information. There's 70, sometimes 80 grams of sugar in these things. Mm. It's, it's ubiquitous as well, but you're right. Yeah, no, there's no social stigma against sugar.
0: Right. And, you know, as we were talking earlier, you know, now and then once or twice, I assume our bodies can deal with that, but you're talking about kind of the cumulative effects over time when it's like 70 plus percent of our diet and, you know, also- Sorry, I'm just having all these random thoughts as you were talking and describing this. Like, yeah, there they're, broccoli is not getting better tasting over time, right? Like broccoli is just broccoli. There, there's no lobby. There's no right. No, no, no one is pushing. There's no marketing group trying to make yeah. Broccoli there's not really a lo- There's sexy. not a bro-
1: broccoli <laughs> broccoli lobbying group on on DC trying to get this. You know, get Americans to eat more of this, right? They're just yeah. Doing-
0: so love it. Now, just to recap, cause I tend to run down all these rabbit trails, you know, small changes over time, consistent use the word consistent, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. And so it's not just what we do one day. It's what we do most days, every day, focusing on adding in whole foods, you yep. know, try, trying to get away from it now. And I appreciate you didn't say eliminate it. You said, Hey, let's try and work more and let's try and I'm paraphrasing, but get better over time. Right, you know, I'm anything- a big fan
1: of swapping one thing. That could be, you know, one meal, one thing in a meal. It depends on where you are in the spectrum, right? Big fan of just starting small, but absolutely, yeah.
0: Well, let's talk about a little bit um, about working with a coach. So, first off, why work with a coach? Because, like I mentioned earlier, like the information's out there. You know, any health magazine, bookshelves and bookshelves and bookshelves of books, YouTube channels, podcasts, like you almost have to work not to get information about it. So why work with a coach? What's the advantage that comes from it?
1: Yeah. So that's a great question. Why work with a coach? And a lot of people would assume that it's exactly what you said, that this coach has this secret sauce. He's got this, he's got this program that nobody else has. It's this arcane knowledge and he's going to give it to you. And that's magically going to transform you. And that's, that's what your coach is telling you, you probably should get another coach, but yeah, a, a coach is responsible for programming. Right. And there's more that goes into programming than just, Hey, do these, you know, this number of this, this exercise this many times, and this much rest in between that's the programming piece. And, you know, early on, I think most coaches will tell you that part's really pretty easy, especially for somebody that's deconditioned. It's, it's not rocket science. And you could find that information anywhere. You can go out on the internet and say, hey, what's a good exercise for a deconditioned 50 year old? You'll get a whole bunch of different exercises that you could do. And that's a great place to start, really is. Why hire a coach? So, a good coach will do a number of things. First of all, what you want in a good coach is they should be, and this is just the table stakes, right? They should be, they should have some kind of certification or experience that would allow them to be subject matter experts in what they, you know, whether it's nutrition or personal training, et cetera. But in addition to that, one of the things you want to find is somebody who, and this is a little woo-woo, but somebody that you connect with on a personality level, It's it makes a big difference. So you want somebody that maybe has got some sort of lifestyle experiences similar to yours or that you just have a, a good personal connection with. So you should feel a connection with your coach, hundred percent. But a good coach is going to do a whole bunch of things. They're going to help you through. They're going to help you stay accountable, really, is kind of the big overarching thing. They're going to encourage you. They're going to push you when you need pushed. They're going to help motivate you. They're going to kind of talk you out of those dark places because, let's face it, when you're on this journey, there's going to be some, why am I doing this? It's not even worth it. And holy moly, you don't even understand how busy I am. And so a good coach has got to be in there and say, okay, understand you know, this is just a, this is temporary. Let's just, we'll get through this week. And then next week we're going to get back on track or whatever that looks like. Right. So a good coach should be able to motivate you, should keep you on track, hold you accountable and be able to help you celebrate your successes. Because really what we're looking for, especially if we're making these small changes, a lot of times a client won't, won't realize that they'll focus on say the scale. Am I losing weight? And that's, that's one indicator of, of success. But along the way, we'll say, Hey, did you realize that you know when you first started, you know, 60 days ago, you couldn't do 10 push-ups and did, you just did 10 strict pull-ups or push-ups today? That's that's a great accomplishment. So good coaches there to kind of point these things out and these milestones along the way. And I think just finally a good coach can help keep the big picture in mind. So while this week's program or this month's program is a this is a pretty basic thing. That's pretty easy. That's a micro cycle in a macro world, right? That's just one piece of this much larger journey. So your coach should have a good idea of understanding what's important to you and helping you know what to do today, that tactical piece, but should also be good on that strategic piece. Okay. I want to get Brock from where he is today. He's got these strength goals. He's got these body composition goals or these weight loss goals in 12 months, I want to get him here. What are the things I need to do today? What are the things I need to do this week? What are the things I need to do this month and help you stay on track with that? Right. And help you not get discouraged. Cause one of the, one of the tough things about any health and wellness, fitness, nutrition journey is you just don't get instant results. I mean, if you want to lose 10 pounds in 10 days, you, probably can, but you probably shouldn't. It's just not long-term sustainable. And while there could be a reason that you might do something like that, really, if we're going to make these lifestyle changes, you're probably not going to see a big difference for, I'm a big, big believer in the 90 days, sticking with something for 90 days. And you know what, doing something that's hard, that's new. And the and once that newness is worn off and the motivation isn't there, it's tough to do for 90 days. It really is. So your coach should recognize that and should help encourage you And kind of pull gently along on this journey, right? And finally, I'll say that I think a good coach has to be a good salesman. And I think most good coaches are, because what we're doing is selling you that this hard thing is good. It's good for you. It's going to be, and I have to help you see that vision because there's days when, let's face it, I I mean, I don't want to get up and go to the gym every day, but I do. And, and, just so everybody knows I have a coach. I think everybody should have a coach. Most coaches have coaches, right? Most really, really successful humans on earth have coaches. You look at top athletes. Most of them have, at least they all have coaches, right? That, that makes sense. But they also have like life coaches as well. So, yeah, I I think that to your point, a good coach table stakes is they got good programming, but that good programming is available to anybody that really wants to dig in and do some research but they got to have a lot of other things to bring to the table as well to kind of help make sure that their clients are successful long-term. I think you and I have talked about early on, one of the things that my goals for you is that long after we have a commercial relationship, a coach-client relationship, you the things that we have done together are a part of your lifestyle going forward, right? Not just for the months that we work together, but for years afterwards.
0: Yeah. And and I certainly appreciate that approach and, you know, well, it it mirrors my own thoughts. So, so that, that, that works well, you know, the the idea that it's not about absolute numbers in the gym, but, you know, can you keep performing at that level? I, I mean, I see guys in the gym who just fixate on, on a number and then they have really bad form. They, they do things they shouldn't be doing. They end up getting injured and w- when we remove when we think about the long term versus any particular day that changes the approach and for for me the sustainability piece of it which is which is what i'm looking for t- today i i said i want to be in the best shape of my life but i want to be able to sustain <laughs> that fitness right. n- not just yeah
1: that's hit a great a point. point yeah so
0: yeah. what's your advice for finding a coach? Like, I know if, so if people go to the gym, there will be coaches there. The gym will be affiliated with coaches. They can track them down there. They can probably find someone in their local community, but Hey, you know, the internet's a a marvelous thing. You and I aren't even in the same state We're you know, not even the same region of the United States. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, we local options are an option, but it may be a little tougher to, to vet, to figure out, you know, from all the possibilities that the distance and all that. So, I guess where would you start in finding a coach? How do you know, you know, kind of how do you locate and how do you know that they're the right person for you?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. You you want to make sure that your coach is qualified to help you on your specific journey. So that's it seems obvious to say, but certainly you want you want to you want to check that first. And now that, you know, hopefully covid is on its way out, gyms are opening back out. That's another great, great resource, right? A local, because nothing can replace a coach that can watch you move and give you feedback in real time. That's, that is the gold standard still. That being said, that's not an option for everybody. And that also being said is there are a lot of, unfortunately, unqualified coaches in gyms, as well as, as online and online's where you really need to be careful, right? Because, Covid well, certainly has changed online personal training. Go ahead,
0: oh, oh as I say, let me jump in and ask. I mean, you know, not to call anyone out, but what are some red flags that maybe this isn't a coach that you want to work with?
1: Yeah, the great, great point. So what's a that you don't you're I mean, trust your gut. If you're not having a personal connection with this person, if you don't like them, that that's probably not the coach for you, right? Uh, The other thing is, you don't, especially those of us over 50, and if you're deconditioned, and whether that means you've never really exercised a lot, or maybe you were in great shape once, but you're not in great shape now, you're not looking for that Marine drill sergeant person. You don't want somebody who just wants to make you sore, tries to quote unquote break you and give you these really tough workouts to show you what a great trainer they are, see how sore you are. So that would be a red flag. And you want somebody who is, going to listen to you. You know, if you tell somebody your main goal is X and they, you know, they immediately start talking about why that's, that's a little bit of a disconnect there. So make sure that you've got that just good personal connection. You've kind of vetted that they're qualified to do what you want to do at your stage in life. And and listens and cares about your specific goals, right? Not everybody's goals are the same. Some people are only interested. I need to lose weight. Some people are, I want to increase strength. I want to, you know, to perform better. I just need to be healthier. Your coach should listen to those things and be able to articulate back to you, not in scientific or any mumbo jumbo jargon, fitness jargon, but in real language, you know, what the general strategy is to get you there. So those are things that I would look for in a good coach. And now obviously I'm saying that online training has been around for a long, long time. There's been a great online personal trainers for quite since there's been the internet probably, but really COVID has changed everything. So there's just been a whole, you know, everybody who was not everybody, but almost all personal trainers, almost all one-on-one in-person services have transitioned in this last year to having at least some sort of an online presence, some sort of remote coaching practice. So while that's, that's great, it's, it's wonderful. There are tons of resources out there that weren't before you just need to do a little bit extra in your vetting, but the same rules still apply, right? The difference in online coaching is that to your point, I'll never get to watch you in person. Most likely I'll never get to watch you move. I'll never get to watch you deadlift or squat and, and correct you in real time. So we have to work ways around that. We, you know, we're in an online world. We've got video, you know, we could do it. Just, it could be as simple as a, a a FaceTime or send a video. We use, you know, we have a shared cloud folder that we can put videos of you moving up and forth, things like that. So there's, there's a lot of opportunity in an online coach. I know people whose coaches aren't in the same country with them. And so things have really kind of changed, right? You're the whole you've got you've never had more, I guess, variety and options for coaching whether that's nutrition, exercise or any kind of coaching in history than you do today. So it's both a blessing and a curse, right? You got a lot more vetting to do, but you certainly have a lot of options.
0: Yeah, and you know, I had actually never really Thought about working with a coach before. I've never really worked with a coach before. I mean, I've had some help with, with programming and that in the past, but very brief, you know, kind of that introductory when you first get to the gym kind of. Yeah. And yet for all the reasons that we've discussed here, for me, that I think that makes a lot of sense at this point in my life. Like I have the knowledge, but knowledge doesn't always apply to application. I, I say, I have the knowledge that that is inaccurate. I have some knowledge. I don't have all the knowledge. <laughs> like I, I still benefit from learning from those like you who, who focus all the time on it. This is all you think about versus reading a book occasionally or watching a video yeah. occasionally. So,
1: well, nobody has all the, just so we're clear about that. Anybody <laughs> tells you they have all of the fitness knowledge, send them to me because I, I need to talk to them. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of knowledge.
0: But, but yeah, so a little bit of that knowledge, the, the accountability, accountability piece, the encouragement piece, I find it, you know, in the, in the short time we've been working together here as we get started, just like, if I don't have to report to anyone that, yeah, I worked out today or or this many times the week, what I committed to, I can let myself out of my commitments pretty easy. The commitments I've made to other people, or at least just announced, yeah, this is what I'm going to do that gets a little tougher. So, you know, that's a, that's a great benefit. Yeah. it just, you know, kind of someone along the journey there who brings some knowledge, who brings the accountability, who, you know, in your case brings the enthusiasm, you know, br- brings that higher vision, hel- helps reconnect to that and-, and sees it as a long-term thing, which is often where I have fallen short because, you know, I day-to-day thing yeah. I did, I exercise today, nah, put it off. And you don't realize how much I've put it off until I look back at my logs and go, Oh, well, it's been, you know, X number of months since I've done this thing that I thought I was doing all the time. No, I thought about doing it all the time. I didn't actually
1: do (laughs) big difference there. yeah.
0: Right. Totally. So, you know, for, for everyone listening. So anyway, I, that's just kind of a long way of saying that, you know, if you're skeptical about working with a coach, I, you know, I've convinced myself that this is where I I need to be in my life is I look at my journey, you know, I, I need, For all the things we've talked about, I I think a coach is a pretty good idea for me right now. And so for those who are listening and going, yeah, you know, I think it's a good idea for me. Maybe they've worked with a coach in the past. Maybe they haven't. We've talked a little bit about how to find, how to vet. But what are some tips or the people who are really successful at working with you, working with coaches, what do they do different?
1: Yeah, so... You asked that question, and I think I can answer that fairly succinctly. The people that I work with that are successful are intrinsically motivated. They understand why they want to change, and that change is not extringi- ex- external to themselves. In other words, they're not there because the doctor told them they needed to to be to get back in shape. They're not there because their wife said, eh, honey, you, you're putting on a few pounds, They're not there because somebody thinks, you know, that they're worried about what other people think they're there because there is a psychological reason that they've connected to for change. And it's really, really tough to take on a person, a a client, if they don't understand why they want to change. They don't have this intrinsic drive to improve them, their health and their physical appearance that say it can be really, really tough, right? Because it's gonna it will be difficult. Motivation is fantastic when it's there, but motivation is very, very fickle. And there's a lot of grit, will, will power and determination that is required of you, not of me, but you client to do this actual work. And if you don't, if you can't see the long-term vision, if you can't say, set aside the instant gratification for that longer term vision of yourself, and you don't have that understanding of why you're doing this difficult thing, when you would really rather not be at this moment, then it's going to be really tough for you to be long-term successful. So I, I think that really understanding your why, and there's this neat. Kind of practice where you can do this little thought experiment. If you just ask yourself, "Why do I want to change?" and let's say you, very common people kind to of me, i do I'd want to lose weight. Okay, well, why? And then they give me a reason. Well, I I want to you know I want to be able to fit into the clothes that I wore five years ago. Okay, why is that important? Well, because you know. And then why is that important? Well, because and then well why is that important? And very often we get into some Probably an insecurity, or we get into we get into something a little more meaningful to that person. And okay, okay, now we're a little closer to the raw truth of your why, as opposed to, well, you know, I just want to weigh what I weighed, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago, or before the pandemic, let's say that's a pretty common one right now. Well, why? And understanding that and you know, as a coach, being able to kind of help draw that out a little bit and to help remind people, I think that that's, that's one of the biggest factors in whether you will be successful working with your coach is just you having that intrinsic motivation and understanding why you're doing these frankly difficult things.
0: So as we wrap up today, well, let me just, man, so I'm excited. I'm fired up. I, you know, I love the topic. And the idea of fitness over 50, because this is such a huge component of people's lives. When we think about mastering midlife, well, a big part of our life is our fitness, our health, our wellness, our, you know, our, our vibrancy. And we're we're entering the stage of life where, you know, on one hand, we are in this kind of mortal decline, right? Like we're <laughs> we're gonna fade and die at some point. But how do we stay strong and fit and you know vivacious? Until that point, you know, h- how do we live a good life, get the most out of the years that we have? And, you know, we. so that's, that's what we've been talking about today. So I, I, I love that subject and I love that we've been able to break it down to some just really practical, simple philosophies and approaches, as well as, you know, if you are committed, if you do want to do it, you know, where to get started, if working with a coach is right for you, great. And if people want to find out more about you, Kevin, what's the best way for them to kind of reach you and, and learn more?
1: Yeah, thanks. They can certainly find me at silveredgefitness.com. And as you mentioned earlier, I'm also the creator and host of the over 50 health and wellness podcast. That's a weekly podcast and it's exactly what it sounds like. We talked to lots of great guests about everything to educate and inspire folks over 50 to maintain that healthy, strong, vital lifestyle.
0: Yeah, and you had mentioned the the episode with the doctor that wrote the barbell prescription. And that's mm-hmm. the first episode of your podcast I listened to. Loved it. Thought it was great. Great guest, you're a great host. And what was the doctor's name? Or actually, let me just ask what episode was that? So if people want to dive in, I mean sure start with the one where Kevin and I talked last one. Great episode. Yeah, right? there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so for the one with the barbell prescription, do you remember which episode that was?
1: I can look it up real quick, I think, but that was with Dr. Jonathan Sullivan. And yeah, that was episode 16, I believe. And that's a great one to start with just because he really lays out succinctly a case for maintaining or even starting a strength program as you age and really does a great job of kind of just at a very high level and with his life experience first being an emergency room trauma physician and now being a trainer for older folks. Great, great episode to start with.
0: All right. Fantastic. Well, Kevin, thank you for being on today. And of course, I know we'll have you back on maybe deep dive into some specific topics. We did a broad overview mm-hmm. today. And of course, will the ongoing conversation just about my own progress in that. So I encourage everyone to reach out, visit Kevin's website, listen to his podcast, a great podcast, and excited to get this project going with you, Kevin.
1: Yeah. Likewise. I I think we're gonna have fun with this. I You had reached out about trying to do something with, with this via the podcast and I'm excited.